Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes and soothing decibels. I'm your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 58. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like Michael Bay's film power ranking, Jack Black's debatable merits as a serious actor, and is Army Hammer the greatest name in the history of showbiz? No quote too minor, no side plot too small. There's a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. So before we delve into today's topic, uh, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld level daily observation. So huge news today. I became the proud owner of an iPad Baby Bjorn kind of holster thing. And it's the dorkiest piece of outerwear I've ever encountered. It's unbelievable. It's all canvas. It's tons of buttons. There's straps. There's like 13 unnecessary pockets. It feels like when I wear it, it feels like I'm the least effective branch of the Navy SEALs. Like they're like, oh, put Max in back. You know what I mean? Like he'll just, he'll, he'll be the calm guy and just, he'll get it. He'll get the uh, message back to him. But I love it so much because it lets me consume movies and television when I'm cleaning around the house. And I hope one day that I can just write it off as a business expense because, you know, I'm watching movies and TV and what am I doing here reviewing them? So I think, it, I think it's close enough. So that would, that would be bigly. That'd be fun. But I mean, you probably need more than 10 listeners uh, at this point to, to write this off or, you know, actual income before I start breaking out the American Express business card. But uh, one day, one day I'll get there. And that's when I know I've made it, when I buy something really dumb and I can write it off, like I can buy Vin Diesel's used tank top from Fast and Furious 5 on eBay for like 5,000 bucks and wear it all the time. I would definitely wear it. And I wouldn't wash it. I want that Vin Diesel sweat on there or that Dom Toretto sweat. It's just Dom Toretto sweat. That's not Vin Diesel. Uh, or what else would I get? Like the actual Wilson volleyball from Castaway. He could be my sidekick and I could throw silly questions at him met by awkward silence. I just love that. I want it now. Now I really want it. Now I really want Wilson. I wonder if you can buy replicas on Amazon. I'm sure you could at this point. I mean, everyone loves Wilson. Or what else? I'd like a pendant around my neck filled with Nick Cage's chest hair. That would just be heavenly. That'd be fun to talk about. Remember like when uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolene had their blood from each other in little vials around their neck? It was just weird, but they seemed, they seemed in love and fun. I don't know, just something like that. Just reminds me of early 90s weirdness. But until then, I'm, pro I'm proudly rocking the iPad front saddle holder that has zero market value to anyone else other than me. I don't know who they who buys this. Like, who's it sell to? I should look at the Amazon reviews. I mean, I'm guessing maybe like head guys at a construction site, you know what I mean? Like a site manager so they can look at the blueprints or something. But I mean, it has very few uses. And one of those uses is entertaining me. So thank you, Amazon company that created this because you made my life a lot better. So you're acknowledged and appreciated. I'll look up, I'll look up the actual name and give him a shout out next time. But speaking of things that are stupid but entertaining, let's talk Broken Arrow. It's a 1996 film I've wanted to talk about since the inception of this podcast. In fact, it was one of the central inspirations because it perfectly encapsulated what I wanted to discuss when I was on the airwaves. Just these underrated, corny mid-90s action movies with quippy dialogue and just an awesome director. Two movie stars hamming it up and doing their best die hard in the American Southwest impersonation. And it did better than I remembered in theaters. It brought in $150 million, 
So that's, I mean, if you don't know, little fact for you, uh, a blockbuster by definition is when it does over a hundred million dollars uh, in the box offices. So there, there's a factoid for you. And it makes sense why blockbuster was called blockbuster too. So love it, miss blockbuster. And the movie only cost 55 million. So just utter success. Directed by action movie god John Woo. He did a bunch of uh, Asian movies before he came to America. And then he did Hard Target, Face Off, which is I mean, probably the best action movie of all time. I mean, that's arguable. That's top five for me, at least. He did Mission Impossible 2. And it was written by Graham Yost. And that was my most fun revelation uh, when you start digging into a movie and you find something you didn't know. Because I love the dialogue in this movie. And you realize... It's from a writer that he wrote some of my favorite other creations in the field. The dude wrote all of the FX show Justified, which is just like mic drop line after mic drop line, just really smart, well-written dialogue. He also wrote Speed, I mean, classic Keanu Reeves, you know, on a bus movie. And Mission to Mars, underrated sci-fi movie from the late 90s or mid-90s, I think, with Gary Sinise and Tim Robbins about possible, and Don Cheadle about possible life on Mars. Really fun. And I mean, this dude, this dude's awesome. What a great name too, Graham Yost. And there's nothing more fun to me than connecting uh, why I like something, like just having these connection points, like, you know, like in Beautiful Mind when he has that little red string and he's losing his mind and trying to connect everything. That's what I, when you actually succeed at doing that with why you love stuff, that's just fun. And it makes sense because Yost loves giving these hardened villains and don't play by the rules, lawmen, ridiculously fun monologues and one-liners. And that's, Definitely what this movie is. That's all justified is. Speed's, well, more better written than it should be. And Mission to Mars was kind of a fun thinker sci-fi movie that also had some good lines. So shout out to Graham Yost. Good stuff. So let's get to the plot. Simple enough. I'll just break it down for you. Air Force pilots Vic Deacons, oh, great name, John, played by John Travolta, and Riley Hale, another great name, Christian Slater, are sent on an overnight top secret mission with two nuclear weapons aboard their aircraft, which is a stealth bomber, by the way, coolest aircraft ever. But after they're in the air, Deacons changes the plans. Dum, dum, dum. He attempts to kill Hale and then steals the weapons with the intent of selling them to terrorists. However, Hale survives the crash and meets up with park ranger, Terry Carmichael, played by Samantha Mathis. And together, Hale and Terry attempt to thwart Deacon's plan. Just simple to the point. It's a cat and mouse chase between the sensei and the student, you know, the master and, you know, the one who learned under his tutelage. So I'm always in for those kind of adventures because I I don't know who the guy who said this quote was, but they said friends make the worst enemies. And it never ceases to entertain when that situation occurs because it's just the best when they know you and they know your moves and like, I know what he's thinking. I know what's inside his brain. It's like, yeah, yeah, you've been friends for 20 years and how could he betray you? And you know what I mean? It's just great stuff. And Travolta is the hard-smoking, rule-defying, talented Air Force major who's been passed over and over for uh, promotions because of his problem with authority. And Slater is the wet-behind-the-ears lieutenant who still worships his mentor and is really kind of just blown away that he gets to fly nuclear weapons on a stealth bomber, which is understandable. That's really freaking cool. And Slater and Travolta have this really great cornball chemistry. You know, it's all these dumb one-liners and just they're all smiles and they're just giving each other, you know, a bunch of guff. It's just fun. So, I mean, Wu knows how to direct an action movie. So the first scene is you're looking straight down at a boxing ring and Wu pans down on the ring. And it's entirely black uh, outside the ring. So it's just focused on the ring. 
and Major Deacon's, you know, Travolta wails on Hale while simultaneously giving him advice on how to even the odds and, you know, like better defend himself. And there's nothing better than an on-screen bro friendship when they are boxing with each other for dominance. I think Olympus has fallen with uh, Gerard Butler and Aaron Eckhart have that too. Just it's always fun to see two friends who aren't professional boxers in a ring boxing with each other just to kind of just see who's the alpha. And when Deacons goes rogue, Hale is the only one who knows Deacon well enough, like I said before, you know, the best friend theory, to figure out what he's plotting and how to catch him. It's like, I know it's mine, man. Let me, let me get in there. <laughs> and the best part is this is such a rip from Die Hard because the both, both parties in this movie have walkie-talkies and can constantly communicate with each other during the action-adventure part of the film. And I just, I love, I mean, they... There's a lot of movies where they avoid conflict or they avoid talking to each other to the end, so there's a big crescendo. No, give me give me them talking and just giving the back and forth. I want the I want the quippy dialogue. And film critics like Roger Ebert always complain about the talking gunman theory. So like when the Bond villain, who's you know has James Bond strapped up over a shark tank and is you know walking back and forth, all you know full of himself because he's going to explain the entirety of his evil plot to James Bond before he kills him when he could just you know pop James Bond in the face with a gun and it would be over but you know I mean it's more fun when I I like the talking gunman stuff so normally I consider myself a Roger Ebert fan but you know what I'm like not today Roger I'm just uh I'm I'm disagreeing with you for once may I I mean I may avoid getting struck by lightning but it's the most fun part of most movies. You get these A-listers a chance to chew uh, some scenery and master teeth and rant about money and loyalty and eat their evil plots. And I'll never retire of it when it's well done. And this movie also has a counterpart in the superhero world. It's a, I mean, I don't think anyone thinks about this, but it's this random 2009 movie called Push. It's starring Chris Evans and Dakota Fanning in Hong Kong as these special superpowered individuals who can predict the future or move things with their mind or like can start fires, you know, telekinesis. And it's 97% uh, this talking killer syndrome rants that I was talking about. And for, I just love it. It's really fun. So, I mean, I think these movies get panned by critics, but I think you have to know what you're getting into and just, you know, strap in for the ride and suspend reality and just enjoy watching, you know, great actors, you know, go back and forth with each other. It wouldn't be fun if they weren't talking and giving each other crap. You know what I mean? So back to the nuclear bomb adventures in the Southwest of Broken Arrow. And that's a cool part, too. That's a real term, I think. It's when they lose a nuclear weapon. Uh, it's called a Broken Arrow. And one of, the, one of the government officials is like, I don't know what's scarier. It's like that we have a term for it or that it happens enough that we need to come up with a term for it. I'm like, ah, oh, it's, good. it's good, good classic 90s writing. And it's one of those movies that never lets up for a second. There's just set piece after set piece after set piece. They just reel off one after another. I mean, there's the stealth bomb kidnapping scene. There's a helicopter chase in the caves and valleys of the desert. There's an automatic gun weapon gunfight in an underground coal mine with the use of those little rail cars. Always love those. I think they do that in The Rock, too. There's Humvee car chases, you know, with a... I think they light a gas tank. You know, that's always a good move when they have, like, the extra tank of gas and they like, put a flare on it and throw and explodes. Love that. There's an actual nuclear explosion in this movie, and it's detonated underground, and you see the ground on the surface collapse and tremble. Never seen that before. That was really fun. And he was using it to like to disable all the electrical uh, equipment around him. You know, get the EMP going. So it was just a, it was a calculated move on uh, Deacon's part, but you didn't know it until it happened. Very cool. 
And it's so crazy. The nuclear bomb goes off and Hale is like pretty close to it. And he just brushes it off like a bullet that missed him. It's like, dude, have you seen Chernobyl? Like you are going to be leaking radiation and like dying in five to seven minutes. Like go to a hospital. But no, he's got to go catch Deacons and he's fine. He looks fine. He's Christian Slater. He's going to be fine. But it's a movie. That's why there's no worries. So just keep it going. Keep it moving. And uh, there's an end battle on a train, of course. You know, so many, so many movies end on trains. It's so weird. It's like, we don't, we don't really go on trains very often, but so many action movies end on them. I don't know why. I mean, even Under Siege 2 happened on a train, I think. I mean, there's, and Unstoppable. There's a bunch of train movies. It's weird. Mission Impossible ends on a train. You can just keep going on and on and on. And like I said, there's an end train battle with a bunch of goons, including one of the goons is Howie freaking Long who's a Hall of Fame football player, and he's an NFL broadcaster. You know, he's the Fox News guy with the Lego head and the crew cut. And he's not half bad in this, actually. He's wearing this this tight black shirt tucked into cargo pants. He's ripped. And, you know, he's got a machine gun. He's just laughing and enjoying himself. And it's hilarious to see him not behind a halftime desk, like breaking down a running back's uh, 20-yard game. It's bizarre. And my favorite part of his role is a small cut. So... Spoiler alert, I mean, who cares? It's highly long. He gets thrown off a train, or he gets, uh, Hale, like, jumps uh, around the train and, like, drop kicks him, and he falls to his death, like, off the, you know when train tracks are above the river? I don't know what it's called, but, like, you know, he falls super far. He's definitely dead. And the scream they use for Howie Long falling, it's the identical scream used in the 2000s Nickelodeon cartoon, Ah, Real Monsters, which is one of my favorite cartoons when I was a kid. And it's like, come on, make an original scream. Like, you really don't have the production. I mean, this movie costs $55 million. You can't get a dude in a, you can't get Howie Long in a sound booth just to scream or something or just put a mic on him. I don't get it. But nothing inflates my nerd ego more than small catches like that. Just another pelt on my wall displaying how seriously I take 1996 action movies, sound dubbing, you know, techniques and intros to childhood cartoons. Like, it matters to me. These are, these are the things that matters, you know. Surgeons, you know, save lives. I pick up on screams. (laughs) And the movie crescendos in a final boxing match between Deacons and Hale while the remaining nuclear bomb ticks down. It's so cool. In the first boxing scene, they bet 20 bucks on uh, on the boxing match. And that 20 bucks, they kind of, it floats around from the movie, like back and forth a little bit. Like it's like almost like the calling card. And finally at the end, it's like, I have 20 bucks. This is, I can't kick your butt. And it's like, oh man, they're just bringing it back. You know what? It's nuclear. It could be nuclear Holocaust, but they're more concerned. It's like, no, nah, boxing match, 20 bucks. Let's go. And there's nothing better than a movie that drips with the excess of ridiculousness and just gives no apologies about it. It's just taking you by the hand. It's like, let's have fun for an hour 48. I think it's an hour and 48 minutes. Uh, and during the final show, uh, during the final showdown, Hale shouts at Deacons. And this is my favorite line. He's like, he's like, you're out of your mind. And Travolta just in this full hyena grin retorts. He goes, yeah, ain't it cool? And it's like, yes, John, it's the coolest. God bless you for leaning into, leaning into this movie full steam. I mean that if you want Travolta to go like full Nick Cage weirdo, uh, he'll do it. Like taking a pen, Thinking of Pentum 123, I think, is the other one where he's just a crazy bad guy, face off. I mean, Travolta will ham it up for you. God bless him. Just fantastic. And also add to this beautiful creation, you have Samantha Mathis as the overqualified park ranger who gets caught up with Lieutenant Hale 
and basically becomes his partner in trying to stop Deacons. And that's a perfect action movie trope, the how-did-I-get-into-this-mess counterpart to our hero, who can ask, ask the panicky questions to the hero that allow us to understand the villain's plan. Otherwise, there's no reason for him to like, explain things to us. And it adds a team dynamic to the hero's side. And it's always fun to see how two usually polar opposite personalities interact. And you got Samuel Jackson in Die Hard with a Vengeance as Zeus. What a great name, Zeus. You got Sergeant Powell in Die Hard. You got Sarah Connors in Terminator, Sandra Bullock in Speed, uh, Emily Blunt in Sicario too. Just, you know, though, kind of wide-eyed, like, how is this happening? How am I part of this? It's kind of, it's almost the avatar to the audience that, like, at least someone on screen is still shocked that this is all happening, so it makes it a little slightly more believable. I think it's like an old trick. And you got some really good random side casting, too. You got Delroy Lindo in one of his, like, 250 roles in the 1990s as the fourth lead as the general in charge of chasing down the nuke. I mean, in the 90s, he was in so many movies. He was in Spike Lee's Clockers. He was the lead investigative detective on Gone in 60 Seconds. He was, oh, what else was he in? He was Satchel Paige in this historical uh, baseball movie. I mean, there's a ton. Oh, and he was also like the criminal drug dealer kingpin in Get Shorty. I think that's my favorite role. But he's just, he's always like a, a guy you want to watch on screen. And if you haven't seen The Five Bloods, this is, he's gonna, probably going to win the Oscar this year, finally. And it's like, he, he just crushes it. So I love seeing him on screen. And you got Red from that 70s show, you know, the angry dad as a worried Pentagon official with nerdy glasses. And you got Frank Whaley, a.k.a. the poor man's John Cusack, as the young government official who trusts Christian Slater more than the older officials to help get in the nukes back. So he's like your buddy. I mean, it's basically John, John Cusack's role in Con Air. Same thing. And they got the same hair. They even have the same style. I mean, I think he's just... I think Frank Whaley just like looked at John Cusack and was like, I can do that. I can do that for, for like half the price. So he gets into the movies like this. And speaking of Slater, uh, this might be my favorite role of his. I mean, I love Heathers. Uh, Mr. Robot's fantastic. His little cameo in The Office is fantastic. But it, uh, And in West Wing, he's pretty good too. But he's just snarky. He's handsome. He's athletic. And he looks fantastic firing a gun and, you know, getting beat up and dirty over the course of the uh, movie. And I have no idea why this wasn't a role he was in more often because he does a great John McClane kind of diehard impression, but with a slightly more handsome, slightly cooler kind of vibe and less, I mean, Bruce Willis is more funny. And Travolta is at an all time hokey, you know, level for villains. You know, he's got the square jaw, steely blue eyes, that jacked upper body that he's wearing this like tight blue turtleneck kind of vibe that I'm long sleeve that I've, that's tucked into some cargo pants. It's a weird look. But he pulls it off and he just looks, you know, evil. And he's grinning uh, through these smarmy jokes while murdering people. It's just the best. Like, he kills one guy and he's like, oh, I've never killed anyone in person. It's like, I don't see what the big deal is. And then he just smokes a cigarette. And he smokes it weirdly. Like, he keeps his pinky out. And it's like, he's just, he's just chewing it. He's just loving it. And uh, <laughs> at one point, Howie Long is shooting at Slater, who has kidnapped one of the Humvees with the nukes on it. And Travolta grits his teeth. Uh, while Howie's shooting at the at the other Humvee, and he just calmly says, "Would you mind not shooting at the thermal nuclear weapons?" <laughs> it's just just great delivery, just fun stuff. I mean, that's that's fun to say. Which also, Fight Club definitely ripped off in 1999 with Tyler Durden standing next to the van of nitroglycerin, 
And he's, he's telling Edward Norton, he's like, whoa, you're shooting at your imaginary friend next to 400 pounds of nitroglycerin. It's just, you know, I love it. As a wise man once said, good artists copy, great artists steal. So props to Fight Club. And Broke, Broken Arrow has a lot you can learn from for you first-time action directors out there. There's the classic 20 minutes of buildup. You're getting the friendship. You're seeing, you know, what they're like in their careers. And then you got a tight hour 48 runtime, which is always good. You never want to have an action movie over two hours. Unrelenting pace when the real plot is revealed, when Travolta steals the nukes after like 20 minutes. Great use of desert terrain. Always fun to have a, you know, a unique kind of backdrop where they can use the, what, like they use the coal mines or they use the Humvees or the helicopters or the cavernous kind of vibe of the desert. Always fun. There's Humvee shootouts. Underrated. There needs to be more Humvee shootouts. Just look, I mean, the, the way they like jump over little dunes, it looks like they're about to, like the car's about to fall apart. It's fantastic. Also, the, the use of stealth bombers is way underutilized in movies. And I'd never understand why. They're just freaking cool. Like they look like billion dollar mechanical air stingrays. And I'm never mad when one is on screen. It's just fun. There's gory deaths. There's a hard R rating. And I mean, I think someone gets hit in the head with a hammer once and the, the crunch it makes is just gnarly. A great musical score too. They use these ominous church bells and these solo bass guitar riffs, which I've seen Twin Peaks, it's like the intro of Twin Peaks a little bit, just that down, no, no kind of thing as they walk in slow motion. And I mean, just great. They have like unique music for when Hale and Deacons are goading each other on. So that's always fun. You want to have like music that you pick up on what the scene is trying to tell you. So this one's an all-timer for me, and it's on demand on Xfinity right now, so consume it and enjoy it. It's one of the best rides of the 90s, and I love it. And if you're a cord cutter, just run it for three bucks on Amazon, and you'll, you won't be sorry. Or, you know, like download it. For, if you're a, you know, a hacker man, figure it out online and just get it for free. And then tell me how to do it, because I'd like to know. <laughs> Until next time. Later.